things start falling apart is with it's what I call the most passive aggressive termination. <laughs> <laughs> like I in like the history the of the world. Of yeah. So they they record a second album that comes out in nineteen ninety nine called Blue and then they're touring it in two thousand. They're at the Sundance Festival in Park City, Utah. And then Wait, before you missed something in the thing. What? This guy dated Charlize Theron. Oh, Steve Jenkins dated Charlize Theron, yeah. Yeah. And he wrote the third album. It was pretty much inspired by their breakup. Right. And I've listened to some of these sad songs, and it's pretty much how I'd feel if I broke up with Charlize Theron. <laughs> I can only imagine what the content think, is. <laughs> like, it is probably just, like, the guy's like, that's it. I'm an idiot. Like, <laughs> Yeah. No, I, here's... I think anyone who might be listening to us, the two people that are listening to this, hi, mom, <laughs> are thinking the same thing. Maybe Don't, not my mom. She doesn't I, know who Charlize Theron is. What year did Monster come out? They broke up in 2001, so I'm wondering if it's the same year Monster came out and it was just the weight gain and the pick. <laughs> she turned into that acting. Monster. No, Monster was 03, so. Oh, okay. So he Maybe she was prepping up. for it. Maybe she was yeah. starting She was starting the weight gain. <laughs> doing a little yeah. bit of the Daniel Day-Lewis, like becoming her character. Eileen Wernos, and he was worried about getting like killed in the back <laughs> yeah. of a car. He's like, we got to. I'm, yeah, I fear for my life. Yeah. Interesting. But, okay. So he's like he, he he's not like a loser, right? Yeah. I think that's kind of why I wanted to bring that in there because Right. Yeah, he goes to UC Berkeley, he graduates, which I went to a pretty decent school, like went yeah. to it. Like it <laughs> like I got accepted into it is what I'm saying. But uh So, you know, just getting into the school doesn't mean a whole lot. I mean, that being yeah. said, you know, Zuckerberg and Elon Musk and Bill Gates all got into really great schools that they didn't graduate from. So just throwing that out there. But Maybe. why did they leave? I think they okay, left Andrew, because that's they had good No, we are ready to move on. <laughs> okay, that's all right, all right. I got it. Here. Yeah, no problem. That's not what I was getting. <laughs> so uh, Stefan <laughs> Jenkins, he's like, he's a talented, he, he's an interesting guy. He's not just a, some weird loser. Like he's got, he got into Berkeley. He's got, got his degree in English literature. He's obviously got some deep um, interesting and creatively unique kind of structured lyrics. He dated Charlize Theron, which I would argue is his crowning achievement. But probably, but, uh, yeah. You know, not the not the the six way bidding war in three years for the largest record deal ever. That's cool and all, but Charlize Theron. Charlize Theron. Well, I remember you actually told me who Charlize Theron was when we were like ten or eleven oh, or something really? like that. Okay. You're like, have you ever heard of Charlize Theron? I'm like, uh. It's like she was in Mighty Joe Young, and I'm like, uh, oh. the blonde girl. Like I was barely starting to notice sure. girls. Sure, you were a couple. Was... You're a couple years older than me, so you were definitely noticing girls. Definitely. And you pointed her out to me, and so she's always stood out in in my mind. I think probably because she was one of the kids you girls you you told me about when I was starting sure. to notice girls. So she became this like uh, your your uh, what your white whale. Yeah, Your like I went trail. after pretty hard when I was eleven. Sure, but, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but she, Captain, she's too busy with this. She's too busy with this Stefan guy. Freaking Stefan! Yeah. I thought she was at her hottest playing uh, in, in Arrested Development. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Some stupid person in your family. <laughs> 
Mr. <laughs> F. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> oh, crap. Oh, crap. That's just good. Yeah. That's just, you know, that's just good radio right there. <laughs> that is good, yeah, that's about radio. as good as you can get. Um, <laughs> so they're touring. Know, sorry. Yeah, right. okay. So that we're back to real life here. Okay. <laughs> so they're touring and they're in Park City, Utah, which... I mean, being from California and especially being from the most liberal part of California, yeah. the worst city in the world you want to be abandoned in is probably a city in Utah. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So they're touring. They're at the Sundance Festival. They're touring their second album. And Kevin's fired. And the way he finds out he's fired is he wakes up in the morning. He goes down to the lobby to meet up with his band and get on the bus. And everybody's gone. Wow. And he gets given a hotel bill, but I think they gave him a Greyhound ticket home. Jeez. Like they at least left him that. They didn't pay for his room. No, he had to pay for his own room. Jeez. (laughs) uh... Like, I don't know if you've ever had to fire somebody or if you've ever been fired, but this is definitely the worst firing story I've ever heard. Well, I mean, I, I have been fired. But it, it would be harder for them to do it that way. Like, I show up to work and the store has moved. <laughs> and they moved it just so I wouldn't come to work. Like, And then they give you, like, the moving bill. You know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. There's an invoice from the moving company for me. Yeah. Now, that being said, though, do you remember when I worked at Debaji's, that, that like, whole yeah. organic uh, grocery Market. store? Yeah. Yeah, so they went out of business and didn't tell anyone. So this actually is pretty much what happened to me when <laughs> when I lost that job. I'm at school, and it, it was across the street from the high school. Yeah. And I'm at school, and someone's like, hey, so what are you going to do for work? Like, what are you, what are you talking about? <laughs> well, your job, like you lost. Like, uh, nope, still working at the Bodgies. But they closed down. There's paper on the window. So I'm like, no, there's, what are you talking about? I'd worked. I'd closed the night before. So I went to... I went across the street, and sure enough, yeah, they'd papered up there. It was all gone. It was done. So they okay, did that so, to me. Yeah, so you've actually lived this experience. Yeah, I've, I'm talking too much about it, I think. But, <laughs> well, yeah, that sucks. Poor Kevin. That sucks. That is like not you've a considerate been there. way. Yeah, it's not a considerate <laughs> way to like, yeah. tell someone thanks for your time, but we're going to go in a different direction. Yeah. Wow. So how do they get to this point where they're, like, passively, aggressively firing their guitarist and founding member. Right. So if you go back to in time even further, 1993 or 1996, when they get signed with Electra, mm-hmm. Stephen Jenkins says to Kevin, Hey, I'm going to incorporate a company called third eye blind Inc. And we're both going to have 50% of the shares in the company. Kevin says, awesome. And then Steve behind Kevin's back tells the band manager, when you incorporate Third Eye Blind, give me 100% of the shares, okay? Wow. The band ma- manager does that. So for the next four years, Kevin doesn't actually own anything in the company. Wow. But he thinks he does. Has no idea. No idea. And then the true ownership comes out because Electra's trying to advance a million dollars to Third Eye Blind to record a new EP. And right. then Kevin finds out he doesn't actually own anything. And he says, I'm not signing on it because I'm not, you're going to loan me a million dollars to record something I'm not going to own at the end of it. Oh, uh, sure. Which is probably a smart move, right? Yeah. Like, he signs on that. He signs on that. And then 
he's on the hook he, for a million. He's on the hook for a million bucks, but then he's not part he of the He doesn't own. It's like paying off bucks. a mortgage and then giving the house to your business partner. Yeah, it seems like a poor decision. Yeah. Okay, so that was a good move on his part. But four years without knowing that he doesn't own the company, that's uh, right? It's a long time. Like, that is so bizarre. So this is like, I kind of get it because, um, okay, so story time, personal personal yeah. story. Yeah. I, uh, I jumped on board with this, this uh, new company a couple years ago. A guy okay. that had been working with me for, well, that I'd worked at the same company as me for a long time. He started his own thing. The deal was really good. I'd be making like twice what I was making at the previous place. And I run my own business. It was a franchise, essentially. So, yeah, I sign on. And I'm like, ask him for a contract. And he doesn't have a contract. He's like, yeah, the lawyer's working on it. We'll get it all set up. Um, and then I ask for a contract between him and the the company that's paying us. Right. And uh, he's like, yeah, 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 I'll, I'll get you that. And that doesn't come for a long time. Anyway, the 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 my personal contract never comes. So I've been there now for three years, and um, I mean I'm I'm only the company's liquidating, so it's going to be gone in a couple months. But but uh, surprisingly, but uh, right. I still haven't signed anything. There's no contract. It never happened. Everything's just taken it like face value um, or emails. It's okay, like, I trust these guys, but it was a terrible decision, you know, because, I mean, you don't know what, what's going to happen. I partnered up with his brother for a little while. That went sour, and, mm -hmm. and like, we were really cordial, and everything seemed good when we got into it, but it was a messy breakup, and when we split, and, you know, guys that you trust and you think are your friends, things go south in business, and that can turn around real quick, so, so... I mean, people always tell you, right? Like, regardless if you're going into business with someone you've never met or with your own parents, it doesn't matter. Like, get that contract, get everything signed, do it the legal, like, do it right. And it's easy without having any experience or a good mentor. I think it's easy to neglect that part. I think so too, especially when when they're dangling this carrot in front of you. And I yeah. think the other part is, how much money were they asking you to put up for this new company? Well, I, I mean, that's part of the deal. I didn't put any money up. The buy-in was $0, which was pretty cool. And I think that is another thing. So when you're in a band and the label's just throwing money at you, yeah, you don't care. You don't have any money on the line. You're not mortgaging your house to record right. the album. The record right. label's putting up the money. Yeah. So if you don't actually own anything in it, you don't have anything yet and you haven't had to put anything up. So you don't really care if things are in writing. And that is yeah. a small detail that can get worked out later because I'm not, it's not impacting the pay because I'm not getting paid yet yeah. and I'm not putting up any money. So I don't really care. Right. And I think it's you're, you're kind of young and naive, although I don't know how young they are at this point, but I mean, Stefan's ancient, but, but yeah, still I like think they're all similar ages. Like they're, yeah. In 2000, they're, they're what, 40? Yeah. Well, 36. 30, right? 36? Yeah. Like, they should know better. But if all they've been doing their whole lives is playing music and touring, then, like, they probably don't know a lot of business stuff. Most of those guys don't, you know? For sure. And I think the other part is, is when you, when you're a real, when you have a particular skill, mm -hmm. 
that people are willing to pay money for. You don't necessarily need business savvy to make money. Right. Right. You're, you're a surgeon, you're a doctor, you're a lawyer. People just want to throw money at you because you have this skill that they need. Right. And, and it, you know, and it's worth a lot of money so you can charge for it. Like I know of dentists who they start a dental practice and they're like, I hate running a business. I'm selling because they just hate running a business. They just want to be a dentist yeah, and work on right. teeth. Absolutely. And so when you're a skilled laborer, sometimes the business the business side of it you don't even think about. You're like, I just want yeah. to play guitar. I just want to get paid money for playing guitar because I'm That's really, really good at playing guitar. And he probably trusts – I mean, I'm sure he trusted uh, Stefan. Yeah. You know, and Stefan probably puts off anyways. Like he knows the business side and he's taking care of all of that. Kevin, you're 50-50. Kevin's like, sure, man, I trust sure. you. I believe yeah. it. You know the business anyway. I don't really know the business. So he just like takes it at face value, trusts his buddy. Absolutely. And, so, and yeah. to him too, you know, I just listened to a little clip of uh, Billy Corgan's interview on the Joe Rogan podcast. Right. And <clears throat> um, he, he mentions how like he was the songwriter and – for Smashing Pumpkins, and they started getting interviews like just him, or he would get a cover on a magazine, but not the whole band, just him. And so all these media outlets and people start singling him out as as like the mojo of the band. And so he becomes famous, and the band becomes less famous. And he says at the time he was like a dumb kid. He didn't get it. If he was doing it again, he'd absolutely say, yeah, it's the whole band or nothing on this cover. In this interview, it's the whole band or, or nothing. And... At interviews, even with the whole band, they would like direct questions to him and rarely spread them amongst the rest of the people. And so it would, it, it, it created dissent. Like the, the rest of the band was uh, resentful toward him because they felt like it was a band. And even though he was the songwriter, they were all like equal partners in this thing, right. in this entity. And, um, and he probably, he didn't really say in the interview whether he thought that as well. Yeah. Um he was a little bit oblivious, but maybe I imagine he he must have had some kind of um confidence thing where you know, he just felt like this is this is my music. And so the band has something to do with it, but he I wonder if he also thought, you know what, I could do it without them too. I could get another band. They're my songs and I'm the singer. I can, you know, it probably doesn't really matter who's playing drums or bass. I'm still going to make a crap load of money and people are going to listen to the music. Um, and so why did I bring that up? Stefan probably feels the same way. Oh, Kevin though, probably thinks like, Hey, we're part of this band. Mm -hmm. Like it's both of us. It's our thing. So and Stefan maybe doesn't think that as much. It's interesting. You bring that up because, uh, <clears throat> the original bassist leaves the band under less controversial circumstances. And I think the original drummer too. And hmm. they all hook up with Kevin and they start this other band called XI Blind. <laughs> and they tour in competition in California only. Like they don't, I, I, well, I guess they've gone around the States. But I think even their flyers say like, want to see Third Eye Blind without Steve Jenkins? Wow. <laughs> but... I mean, none of these guys are rich. Like, you can't find any of them on Celebrity Net Worth. Nobody sure. really knows about them. Yeah. And so in some ways, I think, like, if Billy Corgan was thinking that in the back of his mind, that I am Smashing Pumpkins, and if Steve Jenkins in the back of his mind is thinking, I am Third Eye Blind, right? to a degree, I think those guys were right. Because yeah. 
like Steve Jenkins is still carrying on with Third Eye Blind, and it doesn't really matter who's been playing guitar or drums or bass. Totally. He's still touring, and people are still paying a lot more money to see him than they're paying to see the jilted guitarist and bassist play together yeah. with some no-name singer Absolutely. filling in. So, because, and, and I know the name Billy Corgan. I don't know the names of anybody else in Smashing Pumpkins. I know their bassist is a girl or was yeah. a girl. Yeah, I know that. Like, I recognize that person. Yeah. But, I, uh, I would only recognize her if she was holding a bass guitar. That's, pretty, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> right. Because, yeah, that's true. Wow, yeah. we're bad at this music stuff. I'm embarrassed to be on a music podcast. I'm okay with it because I think we are pretty much saying what everybody would say about Smashing Pumpkins. <laughs> Wait, is she actually a girl, though? I think she was. Wait, was there a girl? I... Who's the Asian person? There is a girl. Is that the bassist? Who's the Asian guy? Maybe they changed. Maybe she left. Let's we're, look. This isn't a Smashing Pumpkins You're right. You're episode, right. I'll look so this we're not. Later. If we Smashing. don't know I'll this, make we're note. okay. Right. I'll make a note. We can move on. <laughs> Smashing Pumpkins. Who is who? All right. So well, where were we? <laughs> yeah. So we took an aside here. So okay. So they have this falling out, and then uh, after Kevin's fired, he files a lawsuit for wrongful termination, withholding of royalties, the whole deal, and it gets settled out of court for an undisclosed amount. Okay. And so Third Eye Blind, they immediately replace Kevin with this guy named Tony Fred Tony Fredianelli. And he ends up playing with Third Eye Blind till 2010. So really, in terms of time oh. served, he's more the guitarist of Third Eye Blind than Kevin ever was. Yeah, he sticks around right? for a while. Yeah. But then he also leaves the band under controversial circumstances. Okay. And he ends up filing a lawsuit against Third Eye Blind, too. Oh, wow. Good grief. So this time the judgment's disclosed. $447,329. $447, minus $9,256 in charges to the band's corporate credit card. <laughs> okay. So, like, yeah, it's good to see accountants were involved in this, but the accountants got involved in this way too late in the process. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> so... So this new guy, Co- Toby Filinacci, what's his Tony, name? Tony, Tony Fred, Fred. Rinelli. Oh, I see it on the notes. Tony Fred yeah. Rinelli. So, yeah. so Tony Fred Rinelli, what, what were the circumstances under which he left? Do we know? Was it the yeah, same kind of so, thing? Was Stefan like, Hey man, you own 50%. Come on in. And then, oops, we're going to so leave you in, uh, we're going to leave you in Moscow with a hotel <laughs> bill and like a Cessna ticket back home. <laughs> that it's was, a, it's 36 layovers. You enjoy that. That was part of it. So first he talks about how he actually claimed a lot. I think his initial suit was for $8 million. Wow. Okay. And the reason why he's claiming $8 million was Steve promised him, you'll pay your dues in the band for like three years or whatever touring with us. And then you'll get a share percentage in the band and you'll become an equal partner. Right. And you'll be able, you'll, be, have a voting percentage for band decisions and you'll get to share in royalties or whatever. Sure. And none of that happens. And so that was part of his original suit. But I guess like the article I read had the full brief and judgment and stuff like that. So it was very legal jargony. But from what I understand yeah. of it, the judge said you have no written agreement and based on the laws in California, in order to allege and prove fraud, you have to have something in writing. 
Wow. So you can't prove... Like, I know you can do some things with verbal contracts. You can yeah. prove a verbal contract, but you can't prove that someone was fraudulent or neglectful or whatever without sure. a written agreement. And he never got a written agreement, never got a written promise, never got an email saying, yeah. you know, yeah, we'll do this. He had nothing. And verbal so, so easy to misconstrue, right? If it's not in writing, then it's he said, it's he said, he, sh- he said, she said, but... But at the same time, like, who knows what Stefan actually said? You know, he could have worded it in a way. He's like, "Yeah, if if everything works out, you'll get uh, you'll get uh, a partnership and and percentages and et cetera." And totally. in his head, if everything works out, means if I decide, you deserve it. Yeah, and like that's it, that's it. There's no rock solid criteria there. Yeah. So kids, get that in writing. Yeah, like get everything in writing. And, you get know, I even experienced like I experienced this on the other side. Is I you know I had a review with somebody, and we said we'd pay for the courses for for university courses or something like that. Okay, yeah. And they said no, no. I just want to raise instead. And I said, well, look, like if we pay for your university courses, you end up getting tax free money. Yeah. Like do whatever you want, but I think this is better. And they said okay, but. I don't want to be on the hook to pay back the company. And I said, okay. And then I found out that the head office policy was, no, they're on the hook for 12 months. Like they've got to stay 12 months after we pay for the course. Right. And so I mentioned that in passing and she got really, really upset by that, but didn't tell me till like three months later when she decided to quit. Oh, wow. But I like, I've been on the other side of not putting things in writing. Yeah and have regretted it. I like, if I would have just put that in writing, it wouldn't matter what head office policy was. I would have just said, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll stick to our agreement or whatever. Sure. But I was just kind of left in a limbo and I didn't even really think about it when I said it. I was like, Oh, so head office policy is that you're prorated over 12 months. It was like three months after a review or four months after a review. So I wasn't even putting the dots together, but she remembered yeah, and sure. told me that when she left. So, yeah, I've been it's on important. the other end of it. Yeah, it's very important for everybody to just get put it. put it in writing. And you know what? I finally back to my little my little franchisee business venture. I finally got a copy of the contract that the uh, the people that were paying us, our financier, the contract they gave to our company. Right. And um, good grief! It was like written by the secretary in Word over lunch like it was so and listen i'm not a lawyer i you know i don't have any training but i read through it and i'm like there's no way that a lawyer wrote this like this is this is and it doesn't go over any of the stuff like most of the stuff that i was concerned about who gets to who owns the accounts over what period what happens if an account defaults all of these things that are important to me owning my business and running my business they weren't even in there that stuff was all just like stuff that the owner of my company and the owner of the other company had talked about and it was never put into the actual contract. It was crazy. Did you have a lawyer at that point? No. I mean, I think I think the guys the head office does, my head my corporate guys do. They have a lawyer and and now that we're liquidating and selling all of these accounts before contracts are up, it's actually worked in our favor um because their contract was just so flimsy. It's gonna, right. it's gonna be good for us, but because it's good for us, I mean that's good for me, but that sucks for the other company. 
that's you know that sucks for them. It's gonna hurt them. They're gonna. Hate How it. much do you care about them? I don't know. Zero zero <laughs> like, percent. Yeah. For well, sure. I shouldn't say that. I mean, they're people, and I hate to see people screwed. Although they're big enough that like no one's losing a job, no one's gonna go hungry yeah. over this. It'll yeah. just be like a bad quarter for them, and they'll learn right. from it, and they'll make some changes, hopefully, and you know they'll recover. It's much better than if it turned around the other way and it was bad in our favor, then absolutely people are going to be, I mean, none of us, I guess, are going to be that hard off, but there's a big buyout coming and yeah. it would be substantially less than it should be. And it would be like three years wasted. And, you know, I'd go, uh, I don't know, lay my head under a, a pickup or something. <laughs> That's a dark joke. <laughs> I would very dark. And I'd, I know people who've been there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I shouldn't joke about that. Yeah. <laughs> just edit that out. Whatever. It, it's out, out there. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So, so Stefan, so Kevin gets fired and then 10 years later, um, Tony gets fired the same way. So the reason why, the reason why he ends up getting fired is because Steven Jenkins wants to have like a coup against the band manager for some reason and fire him. Okay. And so he gets every band member in a like sworn statement or debt position to st- complain about the band manager and Fred and Ellie feels bad about it. So he ends up betraying Jenkins and recanting on his deposition. Wow. And so Steve fires him, but before he formally fires him, he just stops paying him for a year. Jeez. Okay. <laughs> Holy cow. And then that's when Fred and Ellie comes back with a lawsuit. Right. But that's not the last lawsuit for third eye blind. So their first album came out in 1997. So in 2017, they re-released a 20th anniversary special edition. Yep. And guess who comes back suing them over royalties? Yeah, Kevin Kevin Cadigan comes back saying, you didn't pay me royalties yeah, on Kevin! these songs I wrote 20 years ago. Kevin! <laughs> my boy, my man Kevin. So it's like every five years, these guys are, Third Eye Blind is in another lawsuit with an ex-member. This reminds me a little of, I mean, we need to dig into this maybe later in a future episode, but Dave Mustaine and Megadeth. I don't know much, but I know that it's just a nightmare apparently working with the guy. Right. And people are like, they join the band, they quit like 11 minutes later. Like, this is no, (laughs) I'm sorry, I didn't sign up for this. And they're like the, like one of the biggest bands in the world in metal. I mean, well, maybe not anymore, but they're. They're pretty big. They were one of the big four, right? It was they Metallica, were, yeah. Megadeth, Slayer, and Anthrax, right? Yeah, like they're huge. Yeah. And people just like can't stay there because it sucks. Yeah. <clears throat> anyway, we'll get into that later. So another right. lawsuit now. This is, yeah, this is just a regular occurrence. You release a and record, this one, someone sues you. Re- yeah. Go on tour, someone sues you. It sues you. Like, so that's what I mean when I was talking about at the start. Like what a dumpster fire of a band. Yeah, right. Like it's just perpetual lawsuits huh. jilted members so I'm just, i i really want to get in this guy's head you know i got to i i want to wonder i want to wonder i do wonder i'm wondering what it feels like to be this guy what he's thinking as i mean a lot of what's happening here i've got to imagine comes from his is this the right word oedipus complex what is that oedipus oedipus oedipus, oedipus? Yeah. dude i am educated beyond like he's in belief. love with his mom is that what that is? That's not the right yeah. thing then. No. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is he thinks he's awesome. He thinks he is the man. And let's be honest, he dated Charlize Theron. He is the man. Was the man. He was yeah. Has like aspects he... of the man. Not only that, not only did he date Charlize Theron, 
he, in three years of touring, got the six-way bidding war, the biggest record deal ever, just destroying it. Five singles on the first album that all destroy are just amazing. Like, he's on, he, he is the cream of the crop. And in his own mind, he is just the man, and he can, he can turn water into wine. So I saw this interview on YouTube with him getting ready for this. Okay. Where he interviews with Chelsea Handler, I think. It was on sure. Chelsea lately, so whoever that Chelsea is. Yeah. But he walks on in this gray suit and he's got shoes on and he sits down. And the first thing Chelsea says is, You're not wearing socks with your shoes. And he's like, So what? She's like, Every time I wear shoes without socks, my feet smell. I bet your feet smell. And he's like, Why don't I just take my shoes off and show you? <laughs> so he takes his <laughs> shoes off. Uh-huh. And then she's like, wow, you painted your toenails. So he's got like painted toenails, wow. taking his shoes off, and then he smells his own shoe. And he's like, my shoe smells fine. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and he's got like this grocery bag, like this brown paper grocery bag from a liquor store or something. And he sit, sets it out on the table and he starts mixing her a martini <laughs> Okay. in the middle of his interview. Okay. And she's like, you've got six minutes to promote your album. Like, what are you doing? And he's like, well, I know you like sex and I know you like alcohol, so I thought I'd make you a martini. Like, <laughs> so I think like that interview sums up everything you're thinking about this guy. Yeah. Right? I, <laughs> yeah, he's he's the man. He can do no wrong. He just does I, whatever he wants. He's like the Donald Trump of band members, <laughs> right? Like, So very credible, educated, eloquent. Like, he's constantly in lawsuits. Generally makes really good decisions. Third Eye Blind, the best band (laughs) ever. In China. Period. (laughs) In China. In China. We're going to have so much coal at our concert. Wow. You're going to be swimming in coal. So... So I'm I'm onto something I think right he's like what is the right word not Oedipus complex it's narcissism the... right okay he's yeah right he's a, he is a narcissist yeah yeah okay yeah like totally in love with himself right and he kind of looks like Paul Rudd and Gerard Butler had a baby like... and he's the baby <laughs> I think you hit that nail on the head yeah like I think you hit that nail on the head with a sledgehammer I can't believe that <laughs> it is. He looks yeah. like a computer took Paul Wright and Gerard <laughs> Butler and created a perfect amalgamation of the two. And that's, there it is. That is like a what would your kids look like thing on Facebook, right? <laughs> it is, man. Look at this guy. <laughs> if you're listening to this, Mom, you should Google all of those people because I know you don't know any of them. And yeah. you will see it's the truth. Oh, yeah. But he's got like the charm of neither of them. Right. Of Donald Trump. Right. Okay, so it's a three-person imagination <laughs> here. Mom, Donald Trump, D-O-N-A-L-D. I know you don't know him either. <laughs> Your mom is like the sweetest lady, though. She Let's... is. And I know she knows Donald Trump. They're getting really yeah. political in their old age. Oh, but, really? Yeah, they are. That's for another episode. She certainly doesn't know any of the other people. Well, she might know Gerard Butler. She likes. He's in a rom-com or something. Yeah, he's um, in a few, that guy can play like everything. He's but, great. I like the guy. Yeah, he's good. Um, okay, so so this makes this makes sense to me, you know, a, and especially I can see the lawsuit thing happening more and more lately because he he hit he peaked so early and so violently, yeah. right? Yeah. It wasn't just like it wasn't a personal peak; it was like an insane peak. Yeah, where he's breaking like world records. He knows yeah. he's got it, and then yeah. it goes from there. Not just the top of of his own personal achievement, but the top of the world, really, and goes from there to just like 
never getting close to that. And so maybe he blames other people in the band. Who knows what goes on in his head, like why this isn't working anymore. Yeah. But I'm sure there's some desperation there and, and resentment, even for people that weren't involved, but he like resents people. Maybe he resents Kevin Cadigan and that's why he boots him. And you know, he just, he just, uh, no one is worthy of him. I've got to imagine. Yeah. And so he, he has no problem telling people what they want to hear to get him to work with him. And then when things aren't turning around, he didn't find the magic formula that will get him back on top. Then he cuts him loose and looks for something else. For sure. Yeah. I, I actually played with a guy in high school who was that cutthroat over like his garage band. Wow. Jeez. And like when you're in high school, your band is just you and your friends hanging out and like, hopefully you can save enough money to record a demo yeah, and hopefully right. you can play a show, you know, and that's yeah. all that being in a band is, but he's like in grade 10 and he's like, yeah, I just cut whoever from my band. I'm like, haven't you guys been friends since you were five? He's like, yeah, but we're, I'm like going places. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then he like balled it earlier than I did. And then he did <laughs> SEO work. Like I found him on online and he, he started his own business yeah. doing copywriting. And I think like, it looks like he's doing pretty well, but in terms of, being a slaying guitarist that didn't happen that dream didn't work out he just got bald <laughs> bald faster than i am well because like he, he was, was so stressed about his stupid stupid garage, garage band, band. <laughs> 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 that's yeah that's what happens yeah so some people are just crazy like i went to university with a guy who's just like really cutthroat with groups mm. and stuff like that yeah i'm like buddy we're in last year university we both got full-time jobs when we graduate I'm going for like B minus. Like, why are you trying to cut people out of our group for not getting an A? Like you are seriously last stretch of a marathon. That is like a charity marathon. Nobody cares if you win. You've already got the job. Everybody gets a trophy. Like this is interesting too, though. Was he like, was he excelling at things? Do you know anything about him? Was he trying to be the best in the class at everything? And is he some kind yeah, of he like had world one class B. accountant now? Um, I don't like, I, we're not really in touch now. Like I know sure. he got a job at a, a good reputable firm and I think he's still working there and he's got kids and a family. And I think like I will say, cause I got caught up in the competitive machine of public accounting. And I right. will say like they do all these recruiting events. They make it seem like it's impossible to get a job. Calgary's a little bit worse because Calgary's more concentrated in the big four accounting firms and they make it seem like if you don't get a job at a big four firm, you'll not get a job anywhere ever. BC's got like a lot of firms everywhere. Like that was something interesting coming out to BC is I go to these like professional development courses and I just meet people who are working everywhere, right? If I went to professional development courses in Calgary, it was like, where do you work? KPMG, Ernst & Young, PwC, Deloitte, Hmm. a bunch of companies nobody cares about, but you know, the big four accounting firms, that was it. Right. And so, um, so he was really competitive, but I think I remember going to recruiting events and just getting like insane and rude. Yeah, sure. Cause you go to these recruiting events and they've got like the six partners in the firm and they're all talking to people and maybe some of the senior managers are there and they're getting mobbed by all these people. And you, and finally you get to budge in and start having a conversation with someone and start networking. Right. And then like six kids just like come, like they look like pig pen from Charlie Brown, just a big <laughs> dust cloud. And they interrupt you and cut you off. And you're like, what the heck? Right. And then you realize it's like, like eat or be eaten. 
I'm just going to start cutting other people off. <laughs> sure, you have to right? to compete, right? To or survive, else you just disappear. right? Yeah. So yeah. I can kind of understand that stress that maybe he had was like, I have to have straight A's in order to get ahead. Sure. And just got lost in it. it it's interesting, man. I, you know, I, so maybe a lot of this is just uh, people not being on the same page. Because when I was in uh, Without the Fall, yeah, like, I I tried pretty hard to make that uh, a thing, you know, to make some yeah. money and and see if see if I could make a career or pretend to make a career, or attempt to make a career out of it. And yeah. so I I was like pretty. I mean, I'd love to talk to those guys now. I'd love someone else to talk to the rest of the band yeah. without them knowing I was listening. Right. Um, because I know I was, like, scheduling practices as often as possible several times a week, and, like, Adrian would be late, and I would shame him. Yeah. And then he was late every week, so I started telling him practice started half an hour early, and then he came on time. And, uh, but, like... I'd uh, we we'd go have meetings and I'd like I try to have meetings where we'd strategize. Yeah. You know, we get tactical about what our next move was going to be and how we we're going to break into the scene and whatever. And I was really having a meeting with myself and everyone else was kind of there. Yeah. You know, but they didn't care. Like they just wanted to play music and have a fun band and I was trying to do yeah. something different. And that's when that's when like the band with your friends stops working, right? Yeah. Once it starts turning into like the band that you want to be a business, mm-hmm. um, you've got to make tough decisions like that. I think like it's any if this band is going to become your livelihood, like you've got to yeah treat people like a job. Like you're not on time for practice, we'll find a new bassist. Yeah, and I didn't do that. You know, I was kind of sitting in the middle between like wanting this band to be a business, but then liking these people too much and being too nice. Yeah, and which is why, like, never go into business with your friends. Yeah, right, right. Well, I know, like, I've, yeah, I've talked to people about how you should interact with people who work for you and how comfortable you should be with subordinates. And I kind of, yeah, you need to check in and make sure that they're doing okay in their personal life and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, like, their personal life is none of your business. The only business is the business. Yeah. Because you can't. How can you have somebody confide in you, sit in your office, ball their eyes out about something, and then the next day they show up and they're late for work or their work sucks, and now this person who's just been overly emotional with you, you have to tell them like, yeah, you got to pick it up it. or you're out of here. Kind of. Yeah. How can you do that? So yeah. that's why I think it's tough getting into business with friends, is because you have these people who you hang out with on weekends and you're friends with their spouses and their kids know you. Maybe their kids call you uncle or whatever. Yeah. But if this guy's not pulling his weight in what you're trying to do and you have to have a tough conversation with him, like it makes that conversation almost impossible. Yeah, it's tough, right? Yeah. Like I know I have bosses where I'm like, hey, I'm going out for lunch. You want to come? And they're just like, thanks for the invite. I'm in meetings or whatever. And sometimes they come out, but it's not often. It's maybe once every six months, you know, and they keep, they're, they're great. They're personable. I can they're dependable, but I know when I talk to them, the primary concern is the business as it should be. Yeah. It's just work. Yeah. It's not like they treat me. Nobody treats me like a drone or a slave or an idiot, but they always keep the relationship. There's this fundamental professional part of the relationship. So I wonder how many bands are like that, you know, cause I know like Avenged Sevenfold, I was really into them for a while 
and they're yeah. just like best friends growing up that made a band and and it worked uh you yeah. know yeah and and so I, I gotta wonder how many bands are just a bunch of cool guys hanging out that happen to make good music and and it works out and how many of them are are like a business first and they have become friends maybe and how many bands like don't like each other but they keep playing music and killing yeah. it there are I those think, stories right i can't think of anyone off the top of my head but you hear well, about like a, a lot of your mega bands are like aerosmith was like that yeah we'll get i've written up an episode for aerosmith right they're not like that as extreme as kiss was like kiss was business first interesting and they'd be a good one to do an episode on because they started merchandising their band, right? Yeah, right. And really, like when I listened to the demo that I made, the best right. song we had, the tagline of the chorus was, every day hurts like a kick in the nuts. And it was right. so gimmicky, right? Yeah. And Kiss was the biggest influence on me as I look back on it because I never really cared to learn how to shred. I only wanted to learn guitar so much that it could just become like a gimmick to help me get girls. Right, totally. Right? And Absolutely. I wanted a band, but mostly I wanted to just be the man in front of, you know, play in front yep. of a bunch of people. I was yep. a gimmick. And and so that was Kiss's thing, is that they're like this gimmick band. And none of their songs are really, really, really good. Right. But they merchandise the hell out of their band, right? They started selling dolls and comic books and lunch kits and whatever. And they're one of the first bands to do that. And I think that's how they made a bunch of money. Hmm. But... Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley were like 100% business first and Ace Frehley and Peter Chris, the drummer and the lead guitarist were just like, I want to do drugs and play music. <laughs> right. right. So they're along for the ride. Yeah. And they'd be another great group to do an episode on because the guys who wanted to play, play music and do drugs are not very rich. Right. Really interesting. Yeah. So like, don't, if you've got one very, very specific skill and that skill is playing a instrument in kiss, like do everything <laughs> you can to not get fired from that job. Do not get fired from kiss. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or third eye blind. Don't or get fired from third eye blind. Third if you're in a blind. band that's making money, yeah. just like suck up what you got to suck up to stay in the band. For sure. And I, think, I mean, like, financially, but maybe that sucks, man. Maybe life sucked under the tyrannical rule of Stefan Jenkins. It might have, but. Oh, but then like, they didn't quit, though. They got fired. So they maybe got it fired. It couldn't have been that bad. And you know what? Like, if you're unhappy, just start a side project. Yeah. And sure. if you're really good, make that side project better than your main project. Like, that's not unheard of in. In the music world, right? Yeah, like XI Blind, way better than Third way Eye Blind. <laughs> well, I mean, you have Audio Slave, right? True. It took the three members from Rage Against the Machine, found a, some people would say, a better lead singer, and probably made a lot more money than, maybe not, than uh, Rage Against the Machine. Hmm. Interesting. Is that, I didn't know that Audio Slave was all of the guys except for Zach. Yeah, it was everybody except Zach, and then uh, interesting, didn't? Know and then that. Chris Cornell. Yeah, right. Wow. Yeah. Um, oh, that's interesting. I'm curious now how Audio Slave does compared to uh, Rage Against the Machine. I think in Rage, terms yeah. of like commercial success, mm -hmm. way better, way bigger. 
But if you look at, like, I looked at celebrity net worth of all the members of Rage Against the Machine, and they're about comparable. Like, they're between 15 and 25 million. Okay. Right? <laughs> so, in terms of financial success that bled down to the members, I don't, you know. Sure. It's not like he's all, you know, it's not like Tom Morello's all of a sudden worth 100 million and Zach's worth 10. Right. Didn't yeah. Zach die? Or am I no, he's still kicking. He started another band called like Prophets of Rage with one of the guys from Cypress Hill or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's got to suck too, you know, to be like in a band and then they all are like, so we're starting a new band, but you're not invited. I think it was pretty, like, I think they're breaking up anyway. I think it was, as far as divorces go, pretty amicable. You got to hate it though, man. You're like, okay, we all break up and then they're off doing Audio Slave with Chris Cornell and I'm here like... Just kind of doing stuff. Oh, for sure. It's just like when you break up with somebody and you're the one to get a new girlfriend first or boyfriend first. Yeah, yeah. And all true. of a sudden your ex just hates you. You it's run like into you, your ex and she's you like dating You told this. me this was forever. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you run into your ex-girlfriend and she's dating The Rock. Yeah. And like she looks way hotter than she ever looked ever when you were dating. You. And yeah. she like... The way you see her is she walks by you in the mall food court while you're eating pizza and some of it has spilled on your shirt. <laughs> and you're like, oh, hey, totally. it's, it's not what I normally look like, but like, it is. <laughs> but I'm, yeah, that's, yeah, that sucks. So, uh, okay. Um, where are we at? Where are we at? I think like we're ready to wrap up. I just yeah. think what you take away from this. If I had to summarize, when you're getting involved in a new venture, you've got to do your due diligence. Like, you've got to get your lawyer involved. You've got to Absolutely. make sure there's an agreement in writing. Yep. No matter, I think that's so important in any any kind of business venture, meaning anything where there's money involved, really. Yeah. Get, get a contract going. And, of course, if there's a lot of money, get a lawyer. And I think even if it's something that's small, if you can't afford a lawyer or it doesn't justify spending a couple grand on a lawyer like print some crap out on word and just you know use your best to the best of your knowledge and in fact there's a bunch of legal stuff you can download um for free that are like templates of all kinds of contracts yeah there's a lot of stuff online you can find and just get something in writing because otherwise it's just so easy to get screwed and get left with a bill in park city utah yeah (laughs) (laughs) I think like if I I think if there there are probably two people in this world I trust enough to go into business with on a handshake. Me and and my mom. Just kidding. Me and Mary. I'd probably Lee. make my mom sign a contract, but <laughs> <laughs> I would too. She's shrewd, man. Yeah. She's nice. I trust she's, her, but she's She's got... a tough lady. Yeah, yeah, yeah. she's shrewd. <laughs> so uh, like, yeah, so the general person I would definitely get something in writing with. I want to know who these two people are, though. I'll tell you off, Mike, because I don't want to offend anyone. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, the other thing is, like, know who you're doing business with. Like, the thing that amazes me is, like, no one is asking questions ever at any yeah. point in time. Yeah. So Fred and Ellie but knows, he is, knows, like... Go ahead, go ahead. I'm going to jump in on that, but I want you to finish your thought. Fred and Ellie knows why Kevin Cadigan left the band because, like, he did an interview with New York Times on it. Yeah. And then within two years, there's a lawsuit. So he's got to know there's a lawsuit going on. 
Sure. The guy I'm replacing is suing my boss because he said he didn't get what my boss promised him. (laughs) But it'll probably work out for me. (laughs) So this is this is a tough one for me, too, because I totally agree. And especially when we're outside looking in, it's really easy to say that. But I got to imagine, I mean, who knows what it was actually like. But I could easily see Tony coming in and saying, you, you know, or getting approached by uh, by Steph and Steven. And Steven says, yeah, we want you on, on board. Like, we're going to hook you up with all this stuff. And Tony's like, okay, like, that sounds good. But, I mean, in his head, he's like, this is freaking Third Eye Blind. And I've been playing, yeah. you know, I've been playing like... I've been making like $200 a month yeah. and, and, yeah. and bars, you know? And, um, okay, so Steven wants me in. This is one of the biggest bands in the world. Like, yeah, I want in. And Steven's like, we're going to hook you up. You're going to get shares. Can you put that in writing? Steven's like, totally. We'll put it in writing. Don't even worry about it, man. You're the best. I'm so happy to have you. And he feels good. And then, you know, a month goes by. Six months go by. They're touring. He doesn't really think about it. And he's like, oh, Steven. I need that contract, dude. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. I forgot to get it from the dude. I'll call the lawyer in the morning. We'll get it right over there. And then they're like high on cocaine, and they're not thinking about it. And, yeah. you know, it just like it just goes. And then after a while, it's like, how hard do you want to push? Because if he's like, Steven, I need that like today. I'm not playing another yeah. show without it. Then Steven says, okay, I guess you're not playing another show. Another show. Yeah, you know? that's and true. So, yeah. so there's like, so Steven's got the power. And that's tough. What do you do in that situation? You are Fred Rinelli. What the frick? Yeah, Fred. Fred. You're you're Tony, and yeah. uh, and like, what do you do? How do you how do you tactfully strong arm this guy into signing something that you want to see that when he doesn't want to do it when he's resisting? We should interview like an FBI negotiator. Yes. To come yes. and say, how do you negotiate a position where you're severely under leveraged? Hey, I did it today. Let me tell you what I did. Go on. Yeah. I installed the system, this yeah. this guy's house. And um, <clears throat> so my buddy owns a dealership. He sold the system over the phone. The guy didn't pass credit. And my company doesn't run credit checks. So I'm like, dude, I can just do it here. And I usually do installs for this guy because he lives out of town. Yeah. Um, anyway, long story short. So so I take this this account. It's a big old system. It's like several thousand worth of equipment. I start throwing it in. And as I'm there installing it, like halfway through, I'm like, this is a little sketchy. This guy's just kind of weird, like slightly unstable. He's setting off my radar a little bit, you know? Right. But I said, whatever. I just go for it. And then the next day, like the install's getting worse. It's like a two-day install, and it's it's starting to get a little bad, and he's not happy with a lot of things because his expectations are so high. Even though I tried to, I told him how it was going to be, but then when he actually sees it, he doesn't like it. And the guy's completely unreasonable. And so I leave the house, and I'm going to come back to finish up for a third appointment. And then he's calling me, and he's just getting pissed. And I'm like, I'm starting to worry that I'm going to lose lose the equipment. It's just going to be there, and he's going to say, screw you, and I'm never mm-hmm. going to get it back. And it's it's a lot of money. Like I, can't, I need that. I need that equipment back. And I want to fire him at this point. I want to cancel on him and just rip it all out. So anyway. We talk about that. He, he agrees to cancel. I, I'm going to come by and pick it up. But when I was trying to install the thing, he's like, okay, come over today. Come over tomorrow. Come over at this time and finish. And I'm like, I have appointments. Come over now. I can't. I have an appointment with someone. You know, he'll have me immediately. Anytime he can get me. 
as soon as I'm trying to come and like rip out the stuff that I've already installed because we're canceling, he's so unavailable and dodging my texts and not answering my phone calls. And so yesterday he's like, yeah, tech, I'll call you tonight at six when I'm off work or when I'm coming into town. And I'm down in his neighborhood at 20 to six. I call him, no answer. I text him, no answer. And I'm worried that he's going to shaft me on this. So I just go to his freaking house and knock on the door and he opens it and wasn't expecting me, but I get all my stuff. I had to freaking guerrilla warfare, like side sideline this guy. <laughs> and I'm, I don't know if I ever would have got it. So, I mean, I don't know how you would do that. I don't know how Fredronelli would do something like that. I would only guess like just like, thinking if I'm a hostage negotiator, a hostage negotiator has no leverage, right? But yeah, the hostage yeah. taker has all the le- all the hostages and all the bullets. Yeah, and all that the negotiator can say is like, "Look, whether you shoot everybody or don't shoot everybody, you're going to jail for a long time." <laughs> right? Like, what kind of deal is that? Right? Yeah. Right. But I yeah. think the way it's shown in movies is that they end up getting some kind of emotional leverage out of the hostage taker, right? Sure. That's the only way I can think you could do it is you got to get Stephen Jenkins to open up and break down about how like Kevin Cadogan never really liked me. And I really just (laughs) get him to really like like you. Yeah. Like like you more than you like him. Yeah. I don't know. That's tough, man. Yeah. So that's part of the takeaway. Like, how do you, I don't know. I guess it's just, you gotta, you gotta do everything you can to get that contract. Get Maybe just walk contract. away, like have enough confidence in your own abilities that look, Maybe. okay, one big band tried to pick me up. Another big band will try and pick me up. Yeah, maybe that's This it. isn't the only <clears throat> deal. This isn't the only band. I Like knowing when you should walk away. And I guess that's the thing. So we, we just had a, we had a little presentation by a guy who's taking a Harvard class on negotiating. And that's yeah. one of the things. Know your, uh, what's, what's the acronym? Your best alternative to a negotiated outcome some, something yeah. like that. Like, I know. I know that what you're talking about. So you, you, yeah, you know that if this doesn't go through, you know what your your second, your next course of action is, what the, your next best option is. Yeah, which gives you confidence that like if this doesn't go through, that's okay. There's yeah. something else. I'd like this to go through, but if it doesn't, I'm it's my world's. I'm not going to explode. You know, my yeah. head's not going to fall off. Like I'll be fine. And I'll go find something else, and I know what that thing is, so it's okay. And so. Maybe that's important. If you want to be a little bit risk averse, I mean, there's the other thing. If you're a risk taker, mm-hmm. then like, you know, and, and Fredronelli was here, right? Like, yeah, you risk big, win big, maybe lose big, maybe. Yeah. You know, but uh, if you want to be a little more risk averse, then it's probably a good idea to walk away from some stuff like that.